Scripture teaches us that if you want to be drawn closer to the Lord, it's not necessarily a complicated process. It involves allowing the Lord to seek your heart, to search you out and to know you. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says to search us, O God, and know us. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. And this morning, what we're going to do is we look at a story that comes after the story of Christmas. Is that we're going to ask the Lord to search our hearts and to show us those areas that we might be falling short. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2. I heard some interesting things on the television and radio over the last couple of days. I, driving around, listening. We've been Christmasing for the last few days and are going to continue this afternoon. And we think we'll be done this afternoon with Christmas. But I was listening to some things and they were talking about how excited they were the Christmas season was over. Aren't you glad the Christmas season's over? Aren't you glad all that stuff? Now, on some levels, I understand that. Some of you in this room put in countless hours of work wrapping presents, buying presents, putting them under the tree, decorating a house, decorating a tree, getting food together, getting it out, eating it, cleaning it up, all of that. understand that sometimes it's good to just relax. But I couldn't help but think about the fact that the Christmas season brings us a time of year when it's unique in the things that we talk about and the words that are on our lips. In contrast to that, I was reading an article the other day that was talking about that for businesses, for retail in general, or more specifically, that Christmas 2009 begins this week. That they have to come up with the ideas and the products and the marketing for Christmas 2009 this week because a lot of retail stores will lose money 11 months out of the year. And the only month that they will make money is December during the Christmas season. So they put tons of effort into that season. And I was reading the article, and there was this interesting little thing in there that said, for many businesses, literally, Christmas is a year-round event. And I couldn't help but think to myself, what would our lives look like if Christmas was a year-round event? And I'm not talking about actually the opening of the presents and the eating of the food because the truth is most of us in this room would not last very long eating as much as we eat on Christmas. Amen? We just wouldn't. But I'm talking about the spirit, the attitude that is there. And so as I was praying through and thinking through what we would talk about this morning, the Lord just led me to the story of the wise men. Now, we're going to talk about the wise men in a minute, the magi, uh, whatever name you might call them, but you realize that we don't know how many of them there were, right? Now, I find myself, because of songs like We Three Kings of Orient Are and The Three Wise Men, and just that, that when I refer to them, I often talk about the three wise men or the three kings. We don't have a clue how many there were. There were three gifts. There may have been three. There may have been two. There may have been uh, 14, for all we know. We don't know. We don't know when they came. Now, I know that most of you have nativity scenes, and around the stable you've got the shepherds and the wise men, everybody just kind of there together. We don't know when they came. The truth is, all that we know for sure is they came probably before Jesus was two years old, because when Herod puts out the decree after they leave in order to make sure that he gets the king, he just says, all male children 
under the age of two. And so reality is we don't know a whole lot about these wise men, although there are these traditions that have kind of risen up. But what I want to ask the question is today is how do we carry the Christmas message throughout the year in learning from what these men did? Look at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or understanding as wise men, or Magi is actually the plural form of magician, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. One, uh, one translation of that says that they... They, they were just completely enraptured with joy. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I want to give you three things out of this passage of Scripture this morning that I think that we can learn if we're going to be a people that really understand Christmas and live it year-round. And the first thing is this. If we're going to understand Christmas year-round and live it out, we've got to learn to pursue Jesus. We've got to learn to pursue Jesus. Now, the story tells us that there were these magi. And if I happen to, in the midst of the sermon, say three magi, don't elbow each other and go, see, he messed up there. We don't know how many there were. But there were these magi there, and they were magicians. In fact, they had complicated knowledge of agriculture and science and math and astronomy and astrology and the occult and a lot of things. In fact, these magi were some of the most powerful influencers in that kingdom. In the Persian kingdom, these guys were considered the go-to influencers because they had this wide array of knowledge. In fact, in Persia, it is said that you could not become king of Persia unless, first of all, you learned some of their tools and trades. Secondly, you were endorsed by them. And third, they actually crowned you. These were important men. And the truth is, what we understand from historians is that they would constantly be looking for some kind of sign or something different, something that was telling them that change had come. When Jesus is born in that time frame, there's a star that appears in the sky. Now, what I love about these magi is that these were guys that got it, even though they weren't supposed to get it. I mean, think about this for a minute. 
The Messiah of the world is a Jewish Messiah. I mean, the first and foremost, he came to the Jews as a Jew, and yet he's in Bethlehem, and nobody but some shepherds seem to know he's there. He lives for an amount of time unknown, and all we have in Scripture is that there are just two or three people here or there that understand who this is that has been born to them. And yet, all the way over in Iran, Iraq, somewhere over in Persia, there are these magi that are keeping watch over the sky, and they understand the significance of what has happened. In fact, when they come to Herod, they say, where is this one that has been born king of the Jews? And so they come and they ask those questions. And what I love about these guys is, is that they truly seek out and pursue Jesus. If you were here last week, we talked about the shepherds. And how Scripture teaches us that the shepherds, when they were over their flocks at night, the angels came and they're sent into the city, but that we're not told that they were given specific directions. And so they may have had to seek into houses and stables and look around for this child. Well, the wise men went on a long, arduous journey to get there. Now, I know if you've seen the Nativity movie that came out a couple of years ago, the Magi happened to show up exactly when Jesus is born. I don't think that is scripturally correct, all right? It was probably months, even a year, year and a half afterwards. All we know is that it was a long journey to get there. What I love, too, is that they were willing to pursue Jesus even when the goal kept changing. Do they go directly to Jesus? This means yes, somewhere. Yes, no. Do they go directly to Jesus? No, they don't. They go to Jerusalem to find Herod. And then when it says, when they find out it's supposed to be in Bethlehem, the star moves until it rests over where Jesus is. They were following a moving target. Now, this may surprise some of you here, but I am not a hunter. I don't go hunting. Never been hunting in my life. Never held a gun in my hand and shot at or looked through it at anything. But from what I understand, it is much easier to hit a stable target than a moving target. Will that be true? Okay, good. Thank you, all my hunters out there. And what these guys did is no matter if the thing kept moving, they kept pursuing Some of you over the next year, as we stand on the edge of 2009, have some idea of where God may be leading you, and you are pursuing Jesus with all your heart. But let me tell you, two months from now, that pursuit might change. The star might move. And the question that you have to have in your heart and your mind settled right now is no matter where that star moves, no matter where that goal ends up, no matter what it means to pursue Jesus, I am going to go at it with all that I have. Now, here's the great thing. Scripture teaches us that if we seek Jesus with all our heart, we will find him. In fact, that's what it says on your handout in Jeremiah 29, 13. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Perhaps for you, your New Year's resolution isn't about weight or food or Exercise, but your new resolution is that you are going to seek Jesus with all your heart. Let me tell you something I find interesting about the Magi here. Is that astronomers, and I don't know how they figured this out, but they figure it out, have said that around the time when Jesus was born, that they can verify that there was a new light in the eastern sky. 
Now, there are different theories out there about what happened. Some say it was that some planets came together and aligned at just the right moment. Some say that it was a comet that was streaking through the sky. Some say that it was a supernova that just exploded at that particular moment. I don't really care what happened. I just think it's significant that astronomers have verified what Scripture says and that there was a new light. But this is what I know. That means that the star in that sky was not visible only to the wise men. Amen? I mean, apparently anybody could see it. In fact, I can guarantee there are some people that walked by and went, Wow, now that's different. I wonder what that means. But the wise men, the magi, were the only ones that followed that star to the very Savior of the world. Let me tell you that if you're going to follow Jesus in 2009, if you're going to make Christmas last throughout this year, then what you're going to have to understand is that God is going to give you some stars to follow. On your handout, it just says our stars or the stars that Christ has provided. And I want to tell you about some ways that God is going to guide you in the year ahead if you will seek him with all your heart. First of all and foremost is he's going to seek you through or he's going to guide you through his word. God has given us his word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And he is going to encourage you. He is going to guide you. He is going to strengthen you. He is going to challenge you through his word. I... Uh, most of you know that I just finished up a couple of weeks in Louisville during, in school. And one of the classes we took over the last uh, few months has been on disciple-making and how that as churches and as followers of Jesus, we are not becoming more like Christ on a regular basis, that we're not becoming disciples of Christ. And one of the reasons for that or one of the problems with us in our churches today is we're no longer challenging people to be in the Word. And I can tell you this, there are other ways to grow spiritually in your walk with Christ, but there is not a better way to grow spiritually in your walk with Christ than to be in God's Word. It's close to the new year, and so it's time for my yearly plug, okay? Every year at this time, I tell you of a great gift to get yourself or someone that you care about is a book called The One-Year Bible, all right? Write it down. Some of you have gotten it. Some of you used it last year. But it is a great resource. You can get it at Lifeway. You can get it at Family Christian Stores. In fact, last year I started reading through uh, not just the one-year Bible, but now they have the one-year chronological Bible that puts it all in order, which is a very interesting read. gives you short readings each day. I was talking to my dad last night. I'm privileged to have my family here, my mom, my dad, uh, two of my cousins, my gramps is here for the first time. I'm excited about him being here. I was talking to my dad last night about the fact that about four or five Christmases ago, I gave dad a one-year Bible. And he, has never, he had never read through the Bible in his life. Since I gave him that one-year Bible, he was telling me last night he's almost ready to finish it for the third time. I was talking to Tom this morning. Jenny doesn't know I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to talk about Jenny. All right? I was talking to Tom this morning, and Tom confessed to me that he did not follow through with his one-year reading like he should, all right? So y'all make sure you get on to Tom after the service. But he said Jenny has been very faithful to reading the one-year chronological Bible and has questions almost constantly about things that come up, things that you never saw. And what I find very interesting is when I'm in the midst of the one-year Bible and I'm reading it, it's almost uh, on a weekly basis. 
There will be something happening in my life, some kind of problem, some kind of issue, some kind of joy that I will be going through right then. And even though the the editors just took the Bible and kind of sliced it up, that for that moment, at that time, there will be a verse of Scripture that will speak directly to me about what's going on in my life. You need to follow the star of His Word. You need to follow the star of preaching and teaching. I know that Scripture teaches that that through his servants and through your teachers, your Sunday school teachers, your discipleship training teachers, through the preaching of his word, either uh, in this church, if you're a member of this church, or in the church of where you belong, that you need to be under the preaching and teaching of God's word because he speaks through that. I don't say that boastfully or proud, but I believe that each week that I come to this pulpit, I come with a word from God to you as a people. In fact, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have any business standing here. So you had to be under preaching and teaching. He speaks to you through prayer. As you're praying and you're asking God, you make sure you give time to listen in the midst of that. He speaks through other people. You don't know how many times in my life that God will give somebody else a word to give me that will shake me or encourage me or make me just think, what in the world am I doing? And then the last one is just kind of the catch-all, many other ways. Here's the thing that I found. When you're seeking the Lord, God will use strange methods to speak to you. Now, I want to just make sure of something. Make sure that when you feel like you've got a word from the Lord, it's a word from the Lord, all right? Make sure that it's not a dream in the middle of the night when you've had bad tacos, okay? Right? Make sure it's a word from the Lord. Well, how do you know it's from the Lord? Well, it's going to be confirmed in His Word, or it's not going to go against its Word, that it's going to be something that's in principle and in line with who He is. And oftentimes, if it's a word from the Lord about something you should do, you will not be comfortable doing it. All right? If you wake up and you thought, boy, I got the greatest idea from God, and I'm going to love doing it, and it doesn't have anything to do with this Word, but it sounds great, then you probably need to check that. But if you wake up and say, man... I know God's Word teaches me to be more loving, and there's this person in my life that I haven't been very loving to, and we're in major conflict, and the Lord has called me to go to their house today and to visit with them, and there is nothing in this world that I want to do least today than to go to their house and talk to them. You know what? You better get in your car and go. It's probably from God. God will talk to you in strange ways. I uh, was... uh, reading a couple of weeks ago about Natalie Grant, a Christian singer, who was watching an episode of Law and Order. How many of you here watch Law and Order? If you have the TV on, it happens to be on, I think, 425 times a week. Right? She was watching an episode of Law and Order, and it was about a slave trade among young girls in the eastern part of the world. And she was so moved by the Law and Order episode that she felt challenged by God to set up a ministry to go over there and to do something about the slave trade. Now, I want to tell you, the producers of Law and Order did not think, boy, this is a great way to get a Christian ministry started. But she was in tune with God's Spirit, and He spoke to her through that. He'll speak to you in strange ways first thing that we have to do if we're going to have Christmas last and if we're going to truly follow the Lord is we've got to pursue Him. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to give to Jesus. We've got to give to Jesus. Don't you love the presents at Christmas? Okay, maybe you don't. Just send them all my way then. It'll be all right. 
Don't you love the presents at Christmas? I mean, I'll tell you what I love is I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and they loved Christmas this year. Loved it. Luke didn't really know what to expect at first. But by the time we got to the present opening, about the third present, he was fully into Christmas. What's interesting is he also knows the good stuff from the stuff that's not so good. Right? About the fourth thing he opened was a pair of pajamas. Took it, threw it over his head, went for the next gift. Right? A little bit later, we had bought them some matching uh, sweatpants and Eli had already opened his, and Luke opened his, and I thought, boy, this is a good teaching moment. I said, Luke, look at that. Your pants are just like your brother. Show Eli your pants. He picked it up, just threw it at Eli, went on to get some toys. Luke got so excited about the presents that we had a present set aside because we celebrated with my family yesterday for his cousin Elizabeth. But by the time we got ready to go to the house yesterday, the present had already been opened. Because Luke thought any present in the house was officially his now. Well, when you get to the present time next year, if you still got Christmas to go, you can thank the Magi for the gifts. Because we go all the way back to here, the fact that the Magi are giving some gifts. And what I think is interesting is we can learn some things about giving gifts to Jesus, about giving gifts to each other, even in the gifts that these guys give. The first thing that I see in this passage of Scripture is is that they gave extravagantly. You notice that it says when they got there, they were overjoyed. They bowed down and worshipped them. Then I love this phrase in the New International. Then they opened their treasures. It doesn't say they opened their little bitty gifts. It doesn't say that they gave out the envelopes with the gift cards in it, Right? It doesn't say that they tried to figure out how little they could give. What it says is that they opened up their treasures. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word treasure, I think of a big old treasure chest with stuff just flowing out of it. Now, I don't think these guys were pirates carrying on treasure chest, all right? But I do think that it gives to the fact that they didn't bring just a small little gift. I think sometimes, and even we got wise men up here, don't we? They don't talk to me, but here they are. All right? Even in our nativity scenes, we give the impression that they have these little bitty gifts they're bringing. I don't think they gave small amounts of what they gave. I think they opened up their treasures. They gave extravagantly. When you give to the Lord, when you give to Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I'm going to give you of my time, of my talent, of my treasure, of whatever I have, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. Give more than you expect to receive. Now, the reality is God is going to always outgive us, but you don't give expecting anything in return. Part of the problem with televangelists who say, give me $100 and the Lord will give you 10000 is not just that they are taking the Word of God and and maneuvering it to a place that it never intended to go. Part of the problem is the people that send in the money thinking that if they give God $100, God will give them back $10,000. You don't give anything to God expecting anything in return. You just give. These magi didn't expect to get anything in return. They didn't come and open up their treasures and give out their gifts and go, all right, Mary and Joseph, what do you have for us? They just gave. They gave extravagantly. I read a story this week about 
a man that was driving down the street, and there was a little boy on the side of the road, and he stopped at the stoplight, and the boy on the side of the road said, Man, that is an awesome car. Where did you get that? And the guy driving said, Well, my brother gave it to me. He said, Your brother gave it to me? He said, Yeah, he gave it to me. He said, Do you have to pay anything? So I didn't have to pay a thing. He said, Man, I would love to be a brother like that. The guy was shocked because he expected the guy to say, I would love to have a brother like that. But instead he said, I'd love to be a brother like that. To give extravagantly. Here's the second thing. Not only do you need to give extravagantly, but you need to give out of love. Not out of duty or obligation. Not just to exchange gifts. Just to give out of love. When you give to the Lord, when you give your time, when you give your talent, when you give your treasure to the Lord, you don't give out of duty or of obligation. You just give out of love. Anybody here ever have extra gifts at your house for the whosoevers? You know what I'm talking about? The whosoever stops by with a gift that I don't have a gift for. Anybody, let me see your hands. It's confession time, all right? So they walk into your house and they go, or they call you up about five minutes before they get there and go, hey, we were just going to run by the house. We've got something we want to give you. And you think, "Uh uh-oh, I don't have anything to give them. So you're looking under the tree for whatever, and then you're trying to figure out, well, how good of a friends are we? How much did they spend on me? How much would I spend on them? And you start to figure it out. You find the gift. They get there. They open the door. Look, we just thought we'd bring this out. Well, look what I've got for you. Anybody ever done that? Now, you're looking at me like you hadn't, all right? Let me see your hands. How many of you have done that, okay? That's not the kind of gift exchange we're talking about with the Lord here. It's not a, uh-oh, he's got me and he's given to me. I ought to give to him. It's a love relationship. Whenever I talk about this, I am always drawn back to an illustration by a pastor named John Piper that says that you can imagine if he showed up at the door, and you've heard me use this before if you've been here, on his wedding anniversary day with the flowers in one hand and the candy in the other, and he opened the door and his wife said, well, honey, I didn't expect this. What is this for? And he says, well, according to my records, 10 years ago today we were married. And according to the traditions of this culture, because we have been married for 10 years, it is my duty and my obligation to buy you some gifts and then deliver them to the door and hand them to you. So here are the gifts out of my duty and obligation to our marital commitment. How many of you wives would be real excited about that? No. I see. Them, I saw some looks out there. Like, maybe y'all have done that before, guys. I apologize. But if he shows up at the door and he opens the door and there's the flowers and there's the candy and she says, what's all this for? And he just simply says, listen, the last 10 years of my life have been the best 10 years I could ever imagine. The love that I have for you grows day after day after day. And all the time, I am thankful to God for the fact that he has brought you into my life. There is no way that this measly flowers and little bit of candy could ever show you the amount of love and devotion I feel towards you. But I did want to celebrate this special occasion by showing you just a token of my appreciation. Now, is that a little bit different? Amen? It's a little different. And when you come to the Lord, you give out of love. Here's the last thing. You give appropriately. Give something of value that means something. You notice they didn't just bring any kind of gifts. They brought three gifts. They presented gifts. Notice gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. 
The truth is they may have had a multiple of gifts, but these were the three things that it consisted of, gold and incense and of myrrh. Just real quickly, what that means for you as you give your life to Christ, as you think about how you can draw closer to him, is first of all, you give God your gold. That's your first and your best. That's your treasure. That's your time. That's your talent. You give God the first of what you have and the best of what you have. When you look at our culture, most people today give God the last of what they have left over if they have anything left over. It represents your first and your best. The reality is that what it ought to be with God is you say that if I pay no other bill this month, I will give to my Lord. The reality is most people do it the other way. When I get through paying everything else this month, if I've got anything left over, then I will give to the Lord. You give your first and your best. Incense, that gives your joyous worship. The message paraphrase of this passage says when they got to the child, they could hardly contain themselves. Incense was used as an aroma during worship. They would burn at the priesthood. And anybody that was of Jewish descent, when they walked past somewhere and they smelled the incense in the air, they would immediately think of the worship of God. And so what's happening here is they're giving them incense, frankincense. It's the idea that it is a thing to worship this child king. And then the last thing is myrrh, which is your life and your loyalty. Myrrh, has been said before, was used to kind of not embalm, but to stop the decay with dead bodies. Most people see this as a foreshadowing of Jesus' death and resurrection, of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and, and that they were saying this child had a future that was not pleasant. But the truth is that it can also represent that what we ought to give to the Lord is everything we have, all of our loyalty, all of our life, every bit of who we are. If you're going to seek the Lord this year, you've got to pursue Him. You've got to give to Him. And here's the last thing. You've got to follow Jesus tells us in Scripture that Herod, when the Magi are around, say, listen, Magi, when you find this king, go to him, tell him, find out where he is, come back and tell me so I can go worship him. Now, it never tells us here at the beginning that he didn't have ideas of worshiping him. He didn't tell the Magi he was going to do anything with, except worship him. But Scripture teaches that we know he had different plans in mind. Herod was a guy that killed his own family, own brothers, sons, because he was afraid they would take his throne. And so when he heard that this child might be taking his throne, he was completely against the child. And I love verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I realize that they're not literally following Jesus here, but they're following the directives of God as far as it is to live a life that glorifies Jesus. And whenever we come in contact with him, our lives are completely different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Let me just be real honest. For you... This year, following Jesus may mean some new and different directions. For this church, following Jesus is going to mean some new and different directions. For your family, following Jesus will mean some new and different directions. That you're not going to be able to go the way you've always gone, to 
Go back the way you've always gone back. And the truth is, when you encounter Jesus in spirit and in truth, when he changes your life, he ought to so transform you that you can no longer live as you've always lived. It will change your direction. And as we think about the fact that God is wanting us to draw near unto him and he wants us to follow him completely, the question I have for you this morning is, are you willing to do what is necessary to follow Christ? Are you willing to pursue him no matter the cost? Are you willing to seek after him even when it gets difficult? Are you willing to give to him, to give your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever God calls you to give up, are you willing to give? And are you willing to follow him wherever it may go? The wise men, the magi, are an amazing example in Scripture of some guys that were not even in the loop, that were outside of the faith of Judaism, that didn't have any seeming interest in a Jewish Messiah who just knew that something special was happening. And they were willing to do whatever it took to follow that direction. My question for you this morning is, are you willing to do the same?